Hey, well, good morning, Grace Hill Church. Uh, hope you guys are all doing well. Welcome to our 51st Sunday uh, away from Herndon Middle School. Isn't that crazy? Uh, that's crazy to me. But uh, hey, if you're new with us, uh, one day I'd love to meet you. My name is Alan. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Hill Church and uh, really excited to dig into God's Word with you uh, this morning. But before I get started, I actually want to kick it on over to Veronica and Jeremy. They are going to open our time with a scripture reading and they're going to pray for us. Good morning, Grace Hill. I'm Veronica. And I'm Jeremy. And today we are reading 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 17 from the ESV. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Jesus Christ. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the King of, of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Join me in prayer. Uh, God, we thank you for the mercy that you have for us, that despite our unbelief and despite um, just our resistance, Lord, that you pursue us regardless, and we thank you for that mercy that you have for us. Uh, Lord, thank you for appointing us, um, and we just uh, thank you for all the things that you do in our lives, and we we pray that you guide us this week and continue to... um, bring us along on your path. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We look forward to seeing y'all soon. Well, Grace Hill Church, um, it's good to be with you uh, this morning. Veronica, Jeremy, thanks so much for opening our time uh, reading in our scripture. Um, So they just read from 1 Timothy, and we'll be there in just a few moments. So if you have a Bible Go ahead, open that up to 1 Timothy chapter 1. It's towards the end of your Bible. You can get it up on your phone or something as well. And we're going to be studying that text uh, as well as several others uh, this morning. But here's where I want to start this morning. I want to begin by painting two different pictures for you. And these two pictures are going to depict two different kinds of of churches. So if you've been in the church for a long time, attending church, a part of church, maybe you could think upon some of the churches that you have attended in your life. Uh, and, and just as, uh, just like Grace Hill Church, all right? Every single church has a culture. And so these two pictures I'm going to paint are going to be two different church cultures, all right? And what I mean by culture is, like the unwritten social rules that guide the way the church feels and how everybody within the church interacts with one another. All right, so two churches. Here's church number one. Church number one, from the outside looking in, looks like 
it's doing really well. It's great. It's successful, right? It's growing. It has great teaching. It's got a lot of resources. The worship team is awesome. It's got great kids and youth programs, good facility, good doctrine. They're like really solid when it comes to that. It seems that that everyone in the church is real serious about knowing God and knowing the scriptures. Seems like it's a really great church. There's a lot of going for it. It, it. There's a lot of energy in this church. But if you were to really dig into the quality of relationships inside this church, there's something that seems off. No one in the church is actually known by anybody else below the surface. Right. Uh, conversation is mostly, you know, small talk, chit chat between people or maybe impersonal kind of just very high level discussions about doctrine or scripture or theology. Right. If someone were to ask you how you were doing in the lobby, right, it would not be normal to be honest. Right. Everyone just answers that question like, great. How are you doing all the time? No matter how you are. Right. When people actually gather for community, maybe in small groups or other things, there's there's little honest sharing. Right. People will share their struggles with things like work or things like being consistent in reading the Bible. And those are legitimate struggles, but it never really goes beyond that. It, it just kind of stops right there. And there are people in this church who are walking around carrying all kinds of guilt and shame from their past or from things that are going on in their lives right now. And yet at this church, the culture is they hide that stuff. We don't want to bother one another with that stuff. I don't know if I trust anyone here with that kind of stuff, right? If I bring out my struggles, if I bring out the things that I'm actually dealing with, that might taint my reputation or I just might be a downer in the church. I might bring the mood down because the mood always has to be up and great. People are walking around with anxiety about what people think about them because everyone at this church has it all together. Everyone at this church has the same perspective on everything. At this church, it's not good if you stick out. It's way better if you blend in. Because at this church, if we're honest, it's not safe to be known. And even though the people at this church show up physically every single week, and they see each other every single week, there isn't a culture of showing up relationally. Therefore, everyone is together all the time, but actually everyone is really alone because nobody is known. That's church number one. All right, now, church number two. Church number two may look the same from the outside looking in. Uh, it may look different. It might just be a small little country church, you know, just kind of quiet church. The externals don't really matter. But church number two is different in that at this church, it actually is safe to be known, like really known. 
Like when you're struggling with doubt and you're just not even sure if you buy into all of this and you're not even sure if you believe in God anymore, even though you've always believed in God. And it's been months since you've read your Bible because you just don't really understand the point of it anymore, which quick hint, every Christian goes through seasons like that. Your church during that season is the first place where you would want to go and reveal that. Let people in. Be honest. Because you know that if you're honest about that with your church, they're not going to leave you. They're not going to treat you like some weird Christian. That They're going to walk with you through that. Or, or when something really hard happens and you're just struggling, you're grieving. And if you were to have a smile on your face, It would just be a fake smile during those types of seasons that at church, you don't feel the need to dress up and pretend that everything is great. It's safe to be going through a hard time. It's safe to be known. Or when you have a legitimate question about something or a legitimate opinion or disagreement about something, maybe it's theological Maybe it has to do with something like politics or culture or other hard topics. That at church, it's safe to ask questions. It's safe to share. It's safe to reveal areas of knowledge and expertise where you have it. And it's even safe to reveal areas of ignorance because it's safe to be known. Right? I could keep going on in examples and examples of what church number two is like, but I think you get the picture. This is church Number two, it's safe to actually be known there. You know, last week, uh, Nick preached for us on the rest that God provides for us in and through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that when the church comes together, gathers together, that we should at some level experience a taste of that rest. And here's what is obvious. Church number one, although it may be a great experience, although it might be really comfortable, and and let's just be honest, it's comfortable sometimes to be able to blend in. At this church, there's no rest. At least the kind of rest that Nick was talking about last week. Because you can't be known. But at church number two, even if it's just this small community, right? No bells and whistles. That's a church where you can experience rest for your soul. Because here is the rest that God provides your soul through Jesus, right? It's this, that you can be fully known. Everything about you, right? Every thought, every motive, everything and yet fully loved and accepted at the same time. Jesus went to the cross to pay off all of our sin and everything that we do say or think that could separate us from God, right? He gets rid of it and he makes us whole and he gives us rest from our constant striving to be loved by God or other people. And so look at this. We experience this kind of rest that Jesus gives us in the church. Listen, when the church as the body of Christ ministers this rest to one another 
by being a people where you can literally be fully known by others and loved by those same people. Right? It makes it easier for me, Alan, to believe in the gospel and this truth that God knows me and he loves me if I am a part of a church and in that church my actual physical felt experience is that those people really know me and really love me at the same time. Right? I can believe this about God because that's how his people treat me. This is how we minister the rest of the gospel to one another. When everything falls apart in my life, and I go to church number one, it's not safe for me to invite people into what's going on in my life. If that's the case, then how do I even believe in the gospel? But if I go to church number two, And these people, they're safe to to let in. And they love me just as how God does. Then that helps me believe and trust and lean upon the gospel. We're in part four of a sermon series we've been in called Show Up, where we're looking to the scriptures to understand why God wants his people to show up and assemble together every week to worship. And this is all in preparation uh, for when our church is planning to come back together for in-person worship services every single week, starting in two weeks, March 21st. More details about that to come later. And over the first three weeks of this series, we have been talking about the importance of showing up physically as the church. Over these first three weeks, we've just been talking about why we need to come. We need to get out of bed and come. We need to get to church and see one another and, and be in one another's presence. But for the final three weeks of this series, we're going to be talking about what it actually means to show up relationally in each other's lives. And how we build a culture where our church is like church number two, where it's safe to be known where we remind each other of God's love for us through how we love and care for one another. Because I don't want to be a part of church number one. And I don't want Grace Hill Church to be church number one. My desire is that we would be a church where all of us help each other rest in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now as I say that, I also feel the need to acknowledge publicly that over the last couple of months, uh, I've had a few of you, members of our church, come to me very graciously and just let me know that over the last few months, you haven't felt this way about our church. You haven't felt safe at our church. And the primary reason for that is largely because of some things that I have said in the pulpit and the way that I have said some things regarding some of the tense topics that as a culture we've been dealing with when it comes to politics and race and things like that. Some of some of you have said that you don't feel like this is a safe place for you to express your perspective, contribute to the conversation 
And, and for us as a community to be able to have that dialogue, respect each other, and grow together in Christ's likeness as we engage with our culture. And I just wanted to say to you, I've, I hear you, and I'm really sorry. It's a tough year. It's been a tough year with the political tension and isolation because of the pandemic. And many of us have strong opinions of things. I'm definitely one of those people. And as a church, listen, we are at our best when all voices are invited and respected. We are at our best when it is safe for all of us to speak and for all of us to grow together in Christlikeness. And if I have said anything to silence people, I want to own that. I want to do better. And I'm committed as I lead this church to grow in the way in which I address these topics. I'm, I'm never going to be the pastor who's going to ignore the culture around us. We will always be a church who's going to apply the word of God to what is happening in our world. But I want to grow in leading us to do that with a culture where it is safe for all of us to speak. And so I just want to invite you, if you've felt that way over the last couple of months, I would love to connect with you about that if I have not already. Uh, I miss meeting with people one-on-one anyway through this pandemic. It's one of my favorite things to do as a pastor, and this past year has been a whole lot less of that. So I would love to, to meet with you if you'd like to connect over that virtually or in person. And so here, here it is. If you want to schedule a time with me, uh, here is my calendar. A link's going to pop up on your screen. Um, just go to that link. You'll see my calendar and find a time and sign up. I'd love to be able to connect with you. But here's where we're going this morning. How do we build a church culture where we can be fully known and fully loved? Right, that's the question that I want us to answer this week and next week. All right, and so let me just go ahead and give you the short answer now, and then we're going to unpack it over the next two weeks. All right, here it is. Here's the short answer: If we want to be a church where everyone can be fully known and fully loved, then we all need to show up willing to be known, and we all need to show up seeking to know others. Pretty simple, right? We all need to show up willing to be known, willing to open ourselves up, and we all need to show up seeking to know others. And so this morning, what I want to talk about is just that first part. What does it mean for each of us to be willing to show up and be known in the church? And to do that, I would like for us to look to the Apostle Paul as an example of someone who was willing to be known and to use his own story, even the most shameful parts of his story as a part of his ministry. All right. So earlier we read from first Timothy. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open that up again to first Timothy. Thank you again to uh, Veronica and uh, Jeremy for uh, reading that text for us. And we're going to be in uh, first Timothy If I can find it in my Bible, there it is. Chapter 1 and verses 12 to 17. Let me read that for us one more time, then we'll dig into it. This is the Apostle Paul writing a letter um, to his apprentice, Timothy. Paul says this, I thank him who has given me strength. 
Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formally I was a blasphemer, I was a persecutor and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So, Here in 1 Timothy, as I said, Paul's writing this letter to one of his pastoral apprentices, Timothy. And in this letter, Paul is reminding Timothy of the responsibility that that God had entrusted to them. That is to go preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as Paul is explaining this, he very naturally uses his own story to illustrate the redemptive power of the gospel. Look at verse 13 again, where Paul just says, man, formerly I was a blasphemer and persecutor and insolent opponent, but I received mercy. This happened in my life. Or in verse 15, where Paul talks about how Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And he says, of which I am the foremost. I think Paul was saying, I have a pretty dark past And that's why I believe I am the foremost of all sinners. He's weaving his story in. Do you remember Paul's story? If you've read, read it in the book of Acts. Uh, Maybe it's most concisely described in Acts chapter seven. Just to briefly remind all of us in Acts chapter seven, this is shortly After the ascension of Jesus and the early church is starting to grow in Jerusalem and you had this man named Stephen. Stephen was a deacon in the church and he was filled with the spirit, great preacher, and he's on the street corner and he's preaching in Jerusalem. And he's preaching about how Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all the prophecies and promises in the Old Testament. The crowds didn't want to hear it. And so this is what we have in Acts chapter 7 verse 58. It says this. Then they cast Stephen out of the city and stoned him, executed him for preaching the gospel. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul, who was the apostle Paul. Before he was the apostle Paul, he was a man named Saul, who was a Pharisee a well-trained Jewish leader. And what we read here in Acts 7 is that Saul was the one leading the charge in approving the execution of Stephen. This is part of Paul's story. He was directly responsible for the murder of one of the church's first leaders and, and likely many others, I would assume. 
Yet this is important. Paul's story is not defined by his terrorism. Just a few chapter later in Acts chapter 9, Paul is on his way to Damascus to continue to crush the church to persecute the church, to execute people who would preach the gospel, to bring people before the chief priests to try them if they were preaching the gospel. So he's on his way to Damascus to do that. And Jesus Christ himself appears to Paul and confronts him, changes his life. In that moment, Paul receives the grace and the redemption of Jesus Christ. And it completely changes the trajectory of his life where he's no longer going to be the one who's going to crush the church. He's now going to become the very catalyst who will lead the expansion of the church through the known world. Paul encountered the radical grace of God through the cross of Jesus Christ, and he went from being the public face of the destruction of the church to being the public face of the expansion of the church like that. And so let me ask you this question. Radical transformation story. Amazing, right? Let me ask you this. Even though Paul was completely and miraculously changed by Christ, how often do you think Paul was racked with shame as he remembered his former life? How much do you think his own story haunted him? How many times do you think he pictured Stephen's body being stoned and bludgeoned at his command or any other saints where he directed their persecution? How many times did Paul have to endure the understandably skeptical looks he got from people in the church who knew what he had done in the past? And the scripture shows us this, right? So after Paul was converted to Christ, he did go up to Damascus. But he was doing something different in Damascus. He started to proclaim Jesus. And look what it says in Acts 9.21. It says that all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon the name Jesus? And has he not come here? For this purpose, to bring them, that means us, the church, bound before the chief priest. Isn't he supposed to be here to persecute us? Then a little bit, a few verses uh, after that, Paul then travels to Jerusalem. Look at Acts 9, 26. It says, and when he, Paul, had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, the church. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. What, Paul? Saul? That guy, he wants to join the church? No way. I saw what he did. I don't trust that guy. Right? I I don't think that when Paul came to Christ, the trauma and the shame and the guilt of his story just evaporated. I believe that one of the struggles Paul endured throughout his entire ministry was the feeling of guilt and shame from his past. I think it's one of the reasons why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 9, he says, For I'm the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. I don't think that's pious self-deprecation. I believe that Paul's story was an incredible source of pain and anxiety in his life. 
And how tempting would it have been for Paul to try and forget that part of his story? Don't talk about it. Don't bring it up. Stuff it down. Hide it from his brothers and sisters in Christ. Hope that people haven't heard of his past, right? Don't talk about that pit of shame that's just sitting in his stomach. Even though it keeps you up at night. Even though... You have times of wondering if God really loves you because of that. Even though every time you get up to preach and proclaim the gospel, there's a voice in the back of your head saying, you're a hypocrite. What are you doing? Do you really think that you're worthy to do this? Look at what you've done. Hide your story. Just grin and bear it until the Lord brings you home. Paul had a choice here. He could decide to be known, really known, or he could decide to hide. And to be known is risky. You don't know how people will react to your story. It's possible people could abandon you. But Paul, rather, used his own story as a part of his ministry, as we just read here in 1 Timothy And this was something Paul did all the time. It's not just 1 Timothy. He did it in Galatians chapter 1. He did it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He did it in Philippians chapter 3. He probably did it in other places that I'm not even remembering right now. Paul decided to be known. Paul was willing to be known by others. And my question for all of us here at Grace Hill is, are we willing to? You and I, individually, are we willing to be known by others in our church? Like really known, you know, the the good, the bad, the ugly, all the way known and not just halfway. Are we willing to let people know our stories, even the parts that cause us the most shame? Are we willing to let people in on how we're, the things that we're currently struggling with right now? Are we willing to be known to share who we are to share those things that we don't want to share because if we want to be a church where it's safe to be known then each of us have to be willing to be known and so as we close our time together what i want to do is i want to use paul's example here in first timothy and a few other texts and i want to give all of us three reasons why it is worth the risk of being known, really known in the church, why it's worth the risk. Okay, three reasons. Reason number one. First reason why it's worth the risk to be known in the church is because being known allows others to invite you to rest in the gospel. Read that again. Being known allows others to invite you to rest in in the gospel. Uh, as we said earlier, the gospel invites us into true rest because Jesus has already taken care of all of our sin. God fully knows us and yet in Christ fully loves and accepts us. So we can rest from striving to be accepted, to be loved. And we experience this rest within the church when the church as the body of Christ ministers this rest to one another by being a people that fully know you and fully love you. 
and your brothers and sisters cannot minister this rest to you if you don't allow yourself to be known. Uh, Earlier we read Acts chapter 9 verse 26 about how all of the apostles in Jerusalem and the disciples were afraid of Paul, skeptical of him. And you can imagine when Paul showed up wanting to proclaim Jesus, wanting to be a part of the church with a changed life, with a testimony, right? You can imagine the insecurity that he felt, the self-consciousness that he felt when he got all of those looks of like, what is that guy doing here? He's not welcome here. But I want you to see what happens in the next verse, verse 27. Read this. It says this. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road to Damascus he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. I love this. It's so subtle, but it's right there. Barnabas stood up for Paul. Paul was all alone. He's in Jerusalem. He's in front of the church. He wants to join. His life has changed. He's got a testimony. Everyone's looking at him going, you are not welcome here. And Barnabas stood up and said, no, I can vouch for this guy. I know him. Can you imagine the rest that Barnabas invited Paul into in that moment? How Barnabas in that moment melted away the shame that was welling up inside of Paul. Paul here who had a brother right here who inserted the gospel into the shame of his story in front of other people. He ministered the rest of the gospel to Paul. And church, this is what we're called to do with for one another right here to fully know each other and then fully love one another. And therefore, we make the gospel of Jesus Christ an actual physical experience for one another. And it melts away shame. And if we do not allow ourselves to be known, if we are not willing to tell our stories, if we're not willing to share our struggles, then we cannot help each other rest in the gospel. All right, so that's reason one. Here's reason number two. Reason number two, that it's worth the risk of being known in the church. And that's this. Being known clarifies the gospel to others. All right, in First Timothy 1, Paul uses his story to make the gospel clear. Right? I don't know if you can find a more clear statement on what the gospel is than 1 Timothy 1.15, where Paul says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of which I am the foremost. Paul is saying the gospel is for sinners. The gospel is for those who are messed up. The gospel is for those who have a hard time believing. The gospel is for those who are racked with shame. The gospel is for those who our society sees as the absolute worst. The gospel is for terrorists like Saul. Every single one of us, right? We have sinned against God and deserve his judgment. Right? We all have narcissistic tendencies and selfishness and we're inconsistent and we're fallen, right? 
We're not different than our neighbors or the rest of the world. And the gospel is for all of us. Jesus has come to save us. He has come to save sinners. And we are sinners and our neighbors are sinners. And when we are willing to be really known, even the worst skeletons in our closet, when we're all, we allow those things to come out, then we help make the gospel clear that the gospel is for everyone, for every sinner, and that Anyone can find forgiveness and righteousness at the cross. Anyone is invited to place their faith in Jesus and find the same grace and redemption that completely changed our lives and completely changed the Apostle Paul. When we are unwilling to publicly allow the gospel to redeem even the hardest parts of our story, then what we do is we display a faith to our neighbors that says the gospel is for those who kind of struggle. And so this morning, if you are joining us and you haven't acknowledged the fact that you're a sinner and that you need the grace of God, And if you have not accepted from God this gift of grace and forgiveness that Christ has purchased for you on the cross, if you have not entered a life of true rest where your soul is fully known and fully loved by God and by God's people, then this morning I want to invite you to place your trust in Jesus right now. Jesus came into the world to save sinners like me and like you and like Paul. And to receive that salvation, all you have to do is confess your sin to God. He already knows you're already fully known. And yet the invitation is still extended to you. There's nothing in your life that would cause God to revoke that invitation from you right now. And you can right now ask for his forgiveness in the name of Jesus Christ. And God will lavish his grace on you, fully known, fully loved. And so if you do that this morning, if you want to do that, if you're doing that right now, would would you do me a favor? Would you email me? Serious, email me. Here's my email address right there on the screen. I would love to know, and I would love to walk alongside of you on your journey as you seek to follow Jesus. When we allow ourselves to be known, we make the gospel clear that this is for everybody. Reason number three, reason number three that it's worth being known in the church is this. Being known invites others to rest in the gospel. When you're willing to be known, it invites others to rest in the gospel. Why would the world believe in the gospel if it does not see a church that is willing to demonstrate through the sharing of our stories how the grace of God has changed us? Back in our text in 1 Timothy chapter 1, look at verse 16 with me one more time. Look at what Paul says. He says, but I received mercy. For this reason, that in me, as the foremost, so Paul's referencing his story, that in me, as a terrorist, in me, as the one who oversaw the murder of saints, in me, as the foremost of sinners, 
Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. That in me, that my story could help other people know that they are not too far gone. And to help other people know that it's safe for them to be fully known too. In other words, Paul is saying that if God can redeem him, then God can redeem anyone. And when Paul is willing to share his story, it invites others to share their stories and to have the grace of God ministered to them. See, we spend so much time worried about what other people will think about us. If we were to be really known, if we people really to, to know everything about us. But the truth is, when we're willing to go first and allow ourselves to be known, what actually we're doing is we're not building up shame for ourselves in the eyes of others. What we're actually doing is we're knocking down barriers that are preventing others from sharing their stories and themselves being known. When we tell our stories, we actually make it safe for others to tell their stories. It's like a domino effect. We are laying another brick upon this culture that we are building. That at this church, you can share your story and you can be fully known and no one will leave you. Every time we do that, we're putting another brick on that culture. That at this church, you don't have to hide And therefore, you can actually rest in the gospel. Your relationships with the people of God, with the church, become, listen, an embodied representation of your relationship with your Father in heaven. That's God's vision for the church. And Grace Hill, that is the kind of church that I desire for us to be but we're only halfway there. And I said earlier that if we want to build this culture, we we all need to show up willing to be known, but we also all need to show up seeking to know one, one another. When I'm willing to share my story and you're eager to hear my story and you're seeking me out for me to share my story and you're a safe person to entrust with it, That's when we build this culture where we invite one another to rest in the gospel. And so next week, I'm, I'm super excited for this. I'm very excited for my friend, uh, Dr. Kurt Thompson. He's going to be here and he is going to be preaching. And, uh, Kurt is a Christian psychiatrist here in the area. He has a practice over in Falls Church. It's a great practice. Um, that I have personally benefited from. And he is going to be preaching on how we can be a people who are curious about one another's stories, how we can seek one another out in that, and how we can be safe with that as well. And I promise you, you definitely don't want to miss next week. But Grace Hill, God has called us not to just show up every week at church physically, but he has also called us to show up in one another's lives relationally. Because when we show up as the body of Christ, we literally minister the rest of the gospel to one another. 
And I'm praying that God will continue to build that kind of culture at our church. Let me pray for us. God, we're just so grateful uh, for your word. And God, I'm so grateful for the humility and the honesty of the Apostle Paul. God, he has a hard story. Um, I, I honestly cannot imagine the dark nights that he endured dealing with the shame of it. And yet, God, his story is one of redemption where you came and you changed his identity and you forgave him of his sins and you used him so that millions upon millions upon millions of people would hear the good news of the gospel. And we praise you for that. And so, God, help us to follow the example of the Apostle Paul where our stories are not something we need to run away from. But within our stories we find the very redemption that you're seeking to provide our souls. God, help us to be a church that loves each other like you love us. Help us to be a church that in the same way that you fully know us and fully love us, that we would be willing to fully know one another and at the same time still fully love and accept one another. God, I believe that it's that culture that will be irresistible in our communities and will help us reach many for Christ. We love you, God. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.